Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where we chat with startup founders just like you from all over the globe. Each episode, we bring you practical and actionable tips to help you escape the cubicle and begin your own startup journey. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Sean Campbell. Sean, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Thanks for having me on. So we've already had a little pre-chat here before we hit the big red record button about the uh, the conversation piece right over his left shoulder there. And uh, Sean, right. before you share a, about yourself, can you just tell us, give us 30 seconds about this magnificent antiquity behind you? Sure, sure. Uh, my grandfather retrieved it from the Philippines, which if you know your history, you could probably understand what that means. He fought there in 44 and 45. Uh, my father... Uh, you know, bless his soul, passed away about three, four years ago. And one of the things he he passed along to me in the will was that um, it's it's also special on a few levels. I mean, obviously, it's my grandfather's, but um, I've always been a huge history buff. Uh, just actually got back from visiting the D-Day beaches in Normandy with my yeah, family on a trip there. we did. And so and that's that's an amazing place. I recommend yep. anyone, American citizen or not, I think, is moved by that location. And um, yeah, so it's nice. And it also has the occasional like. Um, well, let's just say slightly aggressive stance if I want to use it in a meeting, you know. <laughs> well, normally the first thing I would ask you is to introduce yourself. But when you mentioned the the D-Day beaches, um, my family and I actually lived in France for about three years. And we went to a number of different like like cemeteries, like national cemeteries, like military cemeteries around France. And there is nothing more sobering to see, you know, 10,000 American, you know, graves at you know, on a France battlefield. And it is just, a it really is sobering to to see. But uh, yeah, so man, this show is about you, not me. So please tell us about Sean Campbell. One thing before we do that, did you get to go see Mont Saint-Michel while you were out yeah, there? Absolutely, yep. That, That's we won't amazing. spend any time on it, but for to listeners, go t go Google Mont Saint-Michel in, in Normandy, broadly speaking in Normandy. And it's the only place I've ever been that I thought, wow, that's like I'm in 900 AD. Like I'm just instantly <laughs> there in a way that's hard to explain. Anyway, we spent some time there too. But Or a Lord um, of the yeah, Rings movie. Sean, <laughs> very, yeah, exactly. No, 100%. And you could totally imagine a knight on horse just walking past no you in that place in, in just a way that's amazing. Um, yeah, so so like you said, my name's Sean Campbell. I'm um, the CEO of a company called Cascade Insights. Uh, I've been... Um, uh, gainfully employed for myself, uh, per se, for almost like 20 plus years now. Uh, and across two companies, I had one I grew and sold. And then Cascade Insights I've had since 2006. And uh, roughly speaking, at Cascade Insights, uh, we get hired for pain or opportunity. And so what that means is a client will come to us and they're facing like competitive pressure and they want us to help them with research and analysis or marketing services. Uh, or maybe they've even self-inflicted pain. You know, they've launched a bad product offering, bad sales strategy marketing. And then on the opportunity side, we get hired because somebody wants to uh, access a new market, like on the market, like on the Walmart, go to a different geo or a different geography, uh, or they maybe acquired an organization or something like that. And basically it's, we exist to help marketers in a B2B technology company yeah, uh, and help them kind of get their job done. I mean, just just taking a look at your website, there are so many services you guys provide, and I know that in a very short intro, it's kind of hard to cover everything that that you do. But if you had to to boil it down to like a thirty second elevator pitch, if if you were pitched, if I was the B two B client you were trying to pitch to, how would you describe Cascade Insights? 
Um, somewhat close to what I did in the sense of, but I could cut it. I mean, in the sense of I I've used the whole pain and opportunity analogy a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. we either get hired because you're under pain and that's self-inflicted or competitor inflicted, and we'll help you figure out how to get around that pain and then market effectively. Or if you're in the fortunate landscape of getting a lot of opportunity put in front of you, we can help you figure out how to maximize that and not make dumb decisions on the way to, you know, leveraging that opportunity. Right. And, um, yeah. And, and most of the time that, I mean, historically, that's basically why we've been hired over and over again. What, what's interesting though, is it is a bit cyclical um, because, you know, as anybody who's read the first headline of any newspaper in the last two years knows, you know, it's been kind of an interesting economic roller coaster, right? Yeah. So when times are good, nobody comes to us for pain. They're all like opportunity, right? So we get certain types of projects in that area, but right now, as we got through this last year and into this year, and it's a little more pain ridden, definitely a lot more like help us defeat this competitor kind of work, right? you know? So it just kind of changes with the times. I mean, it's, it's like you said, it could be self-inflicted or external, you know, the, as far as yeah. the, the pain opportunity. To mode. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's definitely plenty of times where we've gone in and it's a self-inflicted wound. I mean, the short, the shortest uh, story there that immediately comes to mind is we were working with a, uh, well, they're really like a Fortune 100, but the Fortune 500 ash, and they decide to go expand into the UK. And um, our research comes back and basically says that by shipping a bunch of Silicon Valley execs to the UK who didn't understand the UK, uh, and you lived in France, so you, I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't say you lived in the UK, but there's definitely differences as you go into other geographies and how you do business. Right. Um, uh, basically our interviews came back and said, you know, the minute your product sucks, we're never buying it because your salespeople are jerks. And so um, we ended up getting the VP of sales in the UK fired as part of the research. It wasn't our goal, mm -hmm. uh, but that was an example <laughs> of a self-inflicted wound. Right? Our they goal, just needed, yeah. right? needed to fix that problem. And then the right. product was fine. So def and we all know in tech, people have shipped poor products. So we, we yep. get lots of that work um, to say the least. It is funny because we actually lived in the UK for nine years. So um, yeah, we, we've got okay, all where, bases where covered so the, far. Where'd you live in the UK? Just south of London. Like if, if oh, the okay. M25 has a, is a clock, we were at six o'clock on that, on that clock. But uh, Oh, excellent. Yeah. Cause on the recent trip, we spent a couple of days in London to show the kids that again, cause they'd been there when they were like 10. We did spend like five or six of the days in Scotland, which I was totally enamored. Blown by. away. Yep. Edinburgh, beautiful yep. town. The Highlands were amazing. You know, I, I'd hop on a plane back there right now and it's only been like six days since I've been there. So no you know, doubt about it. <laughs> my, maybe my favorite place on the planet is Scotland. Yeah, it, it is. A, it's an incredible place. But so so tell me a little bit about um, like, you know, you launched in 2006, made it through kind of the, the recession um, yep. shortly at the end of, you know, dot com boom, you know, that you kind of kind of survived and and or at least I guess were birthed out of the, the back end of that. But so what did it look like? You know, you talk about cyclical. If you look back at say you know, early days, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you know, still two or three years in, you know, in to the journey of Cascade Insights, how was that different than how you guys look at today, as far as you know, in hyperinflation, uh, recession? I mean, just the difficulties, the challenges that the businesses are facing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's a few things, but I know, you know, that. So like, let me, let me unpack it, I guess, as best I can. Um, I'd say yeah, I can't do an elevator pitch either. So <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I mean, like in the, in the beginning, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think the biggest thing, if this is a slightly different way of answering it, but I, I, I guess the biggest thing you got to watch out for in the beginning is that you just don't get out over your skis, right? I mean, mm. I think too many business owners, they make all the mistakes, right? You know, the first invoice that gets paid, they go buy a truck, you know, yeah. uh, for example, right? You know, uh, there's how many construction guys, you know, are driving around in brand new trucks in the first year of owning a construction business. <laughs> I mean, like, that doesn't mean it's wrong. I guess maybe it is a little wrong, uh, you know, but there's there's that. I, I think the other thing is making sure that you've kept um your market focus tight enough i think the the easiest problem that besets a starting out entrepreneur in those first few years is they they just take everything that comes through the door and and initially it feels right because you're like you know wow i've got all this revenue and i'm doing really good but what happens is 10 years later you got all kinds of problems that you can't easily fix because you've got like a problem with like upsizing your current customers because they're all different types and you've got to yeah. like find out solutions that help them. You've got marketing problems because you're marketing across like 25 different segments. You've got sales challenges because everybody's like spread out. And and this happens to the biggest companies. I mean, we had right. an organization come to us to talk about self-inflicted pain. There was a SaaS company that was about like 3000 employees. A couple of years ago, they come to us. It's one of my favorite things I ever seen come through the contact form on the site. And it's the CMO, again, of a good couple thousand person company, which isn't about us, it's just about the significance of their problem. And she writes something to the effect of, um, we now market and sell to 2,700 distinct customer types. The problem we have is that nobody made a decision early on on who to focus on. We need help deciding on what our ideal customer persona is going to, you know, going to be so that we can solve all these other problems that create financial headaches. And so I I think in the beginning, we did a really good job of, of figuring that out and, and sticking really close to it. But I'll be honest, we did an experiment where we didn't. Um, and and some of that was, I think what happens to a lot of entrepreneurs, it's it's ego because um, I've said for years, owning a business is an ego creation and deflation factory. I, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. It just I is that, it. right? You just, you, some days you're like, woo. And then other days you're like, whoa. And, and the longer you're in it, you probably get better at modulating, mm -hmm. right? You know, the, that, yeah. that curve, the, the, the influx of helium and the lack of it. And so, you know, we went through a period for about a year and a half or so, probably around oh nine ish after we'd kind of been doing cascade for a while where you know things started to happen you know exxon shows up and merck shows up and um we've got companies in other sectors that typically we would not want to go work with and they're like you guys are smart guys come on out and help us and very quickly we realized it was the same problem right we were going to water ourselves down we were not going to be very focused and as a small business to kind of show up above it all you've got to be really kind of narrowly tipped yeah right and yeah. and i and it's a discipline thing at the end of the day. Um, to take the other side of the coin really briefly, um, and we can unpack any of this that you want. I mean, like I, where, where things stand now, it's really interesting, honestly, to own a business. I, I have got to tell you. I mean, like um, 
I've said really since March of 2019, like um, if if you have a two-year-old, tell them to get a PhD in sociology because they'll be able to be on CNN explaining this time period for the rest of their lives. I mean, because there's so many things that we have done, work from home and changes in environment and changes in families and changes in work dynamic and technology and um, and 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 even this frankly, incredibly interesting macroeconomic dynamic, which mm. I'm not an economist. All mm -hmm. I know is in 22 years of business ownership, I have never watched inflation be so high. It's currently falling a bit as we're doing this interview, but like leading up to this interview, it's been obnoxiously high um, with unemployment not going up, right? Yeah. So there's this weird labor market trend that you're dealing with where like you're charging more because you kind of have to, to cover the salaries but at the same time, certain sectors are tightening in terms of what they want to pay, but then the labor force doesn't actually really feel constrained, mm. so they can negotiate pretty heavily. And I don't begrudge them for that, right? But um, so so it's it's interesting, I would say. And and if you're a big company, you're dealing with just craziness with what do I do with all this office space, yeah. right? You know, yeah. and so so, there, so I, I you know I think like I said, I a, a good growth career is sociologist. I, I think uh, it's never usually been a growth career, but I think right right now it'd be a good growth career. I have a feeling. So I think that is such an insightful take. Is uh, yeah, that this is. I mean, you're, you're prognosticating in the future and saying, okay, this is where where we're going. This is where we're headed. But um, and I I think it's absolutely true. I mean, we'll look back on this time and and um, I mean, I was talking to my team earlier and I said, you know, imagine two years ago or two and a half years ago, we would have said, okay, the world's going to shut down. You're going to wear a mask. You're going to work, you know, we're, we're going to work remotely. We're going to do the, just list off all these things that happen at light speed, you know, that oh, just right. virtually we took the world changed to work and the we world. Shoved it in a blender. We made a smoothie of work basically. <laughs> and now, and you know, and I think we don't, most of it I think is really good. And there's even a lot of, I know it's a little off topic, but it's one thing that's been on my mind a lot lately to just at least, pass along is something I'm I'm at least thinking about in case it ever resonates with anybody is like what a wonderful thing we've done for families though because mm. because and where I'm going with this is that sure when we were all trapped in a house if you had a dysfunctional relationship and y'all didn't like each other well that didn't make anything better let's be honest <laughs> but 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 for your average family that that isn't dysfunctional and is moving at least in a decent direction all this work from home, when was the last time kids got both parents around? I mean, it was yep. when we all had farms. Yep. Right? Where where dad yep. might be four acres away, but he was still accessible and he'd come back in for lunch. I've had lunch with my kids who are teenagers, early adults for the last four years now, mm. almost every day. Oh, oh, okay. That's, that has to have an impact. I mean, I don't think I'm a horrible father. I'm not a perfect father, but like, <laughs> you know, I, I would like to think I'm that that's a good influence that's happening. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of other things that are going to come out of all of us working from home that are frankly somewhat unexpected. And again, yeah. I know it's not all roses. If you have five-year-old kids and you're trying to get work done and they're crawling all over your shoulder, I mean, I, I understand that dynamic too. But um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. So I would sum it up as right now, I feel I spend a lot of time thinking about how to be the best remote boss I can be. Um, and, um, and there's, there's definitely some learnings that have come from that. And I, I think a lot about 
how to deal with what's what's frankly kind of an interesting economic situation right now mm-hmm. um and and how that's going to play out um so there's there's definitely that and um and then there's a whole host of other tactical things that any business thinks about day to day i um I was thinking about it a second ago, you were talking about, you know, the contractor that just started his business and, you know, went out and bought a new truck. The, the phrase that came to mind to me when you said that was outcome-based idiocy. So right. it, it's like, it's like, it, it's only going to prove stupid based on the outcome. So if, well, they go, if they've done really well, well right. Nobody well, says, the other, says the a word with that though, is like <laughs> the one piece of wisdom I always give somebody starting a business and by the way, to anybody listening, I'm not a gloomy kind of guy. I mean, I guess I'm part Scotch Irish, so maybe it's there's a moodiness in there that you have to watch for. But like practicality. Um, but we're all. But 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 my forefathers also came up with great things like Auld Lang Syne. So I guess we're okay, right? You know, it's not it's not that bad. But like, um, you know, the piece of advice I usually give a starting out business owner beyond this idea of staying narrow and being smart about narrowness for longer than you might think you should is. Just the financial advice I always give them is like, okay, so whatever you're going to make, cut it in half. Cause they're all like, you know, they all leave a job and they're like, well, if I work 60 hours a week, you know, I'm going to work 70 cause I'm working for me. Right. And they do the math and they're billable and they say all this stuff. And they're like, I'm going to make 300 grand. And I go cut it in half. And they're like, why taxes? They're like, what do you mean people pay 50% of taxes? I'm like, well, not really 50%, but 40 get used to that. And so, and then I say, and then cut it in half again. They're like, what do you mean? Why do I got to cut it in half again? I already cut it in half. I'm like, well, you're not going to get to work all day. Why? I said, because you got to sell, you got to market, you got to invoice, you got to pay the books. And by the way, work won't always be there, even no matter what you do. There's going to be times you're just staring at the ceiling. And, and And I think financially, that's probably the best piece of advice you can almost give any entrepreneur is cut by half twice what you're going to make. It doesn't mean they're really going to necessarily just end up with 25% of their expectation, but it keeps it real because at some point, all of that extra goop has to be dealt with. And, and far too often the starting out entrepreneur, I think, and I don't know how many I've talked to over the years that like leave corporate America or whatever. And they're like, I'm going to go do my own thing. Um, and they boomerang back because it's just not quite as lucrative as they wanted to. But but again, I think it's a matter of perspective. Like I've never, I haven't really done this for the money. I mean, I've done okay for sure. But like I, for me, owning a business was a lot more of like a great place to like learn and mentor and be exposed to challenges and get up in the morning and think about, you know, honestly, I just, I just love being presented with problems to go solve. I mean, um, like every entrepreneur, sometimes three in the morning, I don't like being presented problems to solve, but like, or when they show up, but, but generally speaking, I get a lot of juice out of that. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, it's like I'm steering your own ship a little bit. There's a, there's right. something to that for sure. But Amen. I, um, I, I noticed on, uh, something you'd written earlier that, uh, you use the phrase, the age of narrow, and you, you mentioned that word narrow just a second ago. So unpack that a little bit for us and, and really what do you mean by that phrase and how is it, should that impact a, a, you know, a startup founder right now? Yeah. Well, um, basically what I mean by it is that we're, we're kind of in an interesting place, I think right now where in our personal lives, we can have as narrow a queue as we want in our interests. Right. I mean, if you want to go watch, um, 
you know, campy Russian sci-fi all day. Um, you can do that. If you want to watch British period dramas like, you know, Bridgerton and Downton Abbey, you can do that all day. We haven't ever had this, right? If you want to order chips from Japan all day, you can go do that. Um, and I think the impact of that has led people to believe I can have very narrow experiences. I don't mean narrow-minded thinking, but they can mm -hmm. they can really hone in on what they yep. want to focus on, right? We we have and and that's a great thing in some ways, right? Um at the same time we have another trend that I think drives this age of narrowness in a way which um is that we really want offerings to be somewhat narrow for us in all of our lives and we need to kind of validate that um in 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 interesting ways like how do we validate that something is narrow enough for us well one of the first things that we do in a lot of cases i think is that we sort for example for our proverbial amazon we sort by negative reviews mm -hmm. um because nobody trusts the positive reviews because they're probably paid yeah. uh and so like you go ahead and and so what i think's happened is that particularly with services although i think it's equally true to some extent with products is well sorry and there's a third leg of the stool that i neglected to mention is um which is maybe subconsciously i neglected to mention it because we're creating content in the moment but people don't trust content that's not a political statement that's just if you could find a graph somewhere of whether people trusted content 100 years ago and how much they trust it now yeah. the answer would be less just emphatically that that's the role of marketing that's the role of madmen that's the role of like take your pick right they just don't trust content the way they used to just out of the gate so you don't trust content you want to sort reviews by negative in other words like a negative review weighs much more than a positive review in your mind and on top of it in your personal life you want things to be somewhat kind of narrowly focused on your hobbies and i think the organization that wins today especially a small organization by far is one that embraces that and directly tells the market what they don't do. That's the age of narrow. They directly say what they don't do. And 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 it, it, and if somebody's listening to that and they go like, well, sure, I do that. I say, let's try this experiment. When you're done listening to the podcast, get on your next sales call with a client. And I want you somewhere in the first 10 minutes to say you don't do something. It yep. won't happen yep. for most people. And then I say, I want you to go to your website and I want you to give me any sentence on it at all that says you don't do something. Nope, won't be there. But but then you got to ask yourself, what are people looking for when they go to the website? They're looking for a way to disqualify you from bucket A and put you in bucket B. And so what we've made a lot of hay with through all of our marketing over the years and even the sales process, I train all my salespeople to do the same. Saying no is going to lead to a lot more trust and it's going to lead to a lot more success in the long run, whatever opportunity we lose in the immediate. And so we are very clear in our marketing, even we're like, we do this and we don't do this. Um, and what I think it's always done with people psychologically, I think, is, is it, it takes away that fear that I don't know the edges of this thing I'm going to buy. Because it, we, we're, we're psycholo psychologically trained, this is kind of the last bigger point on it, to when we make a purchase, we don't know the edges of it. Mm -hmm. And we're unsure, and we don't trust the organization selling us the item whatever or services to tell us the edges because we kind of believe they won't be truthful. So like, if if you just take that away, like right out of the gate, you're like, nope, we don't work with anybody but B2B tech.
If a candy company calls, we don't work with them. If a cigarette company calls, we don't come with them. If if somebody that sells HVAC to thousand, uh, you know, hundred story buildings comes calling, that's technology. I don't have any doubt of that. We've had leads like that come in. It is tech, but it's not our tech. We don't do that. I I I've just seen like if I had it on video, people just like relax. It's like they just psych. It's like. And, it, and I don't want anybody to read that as like, ah, the defenses are down. Now we can blow up the Death Star. Like, that's not what I mean. I mean, you are now in a trustworthy relationship. In the old Meet the Fockers movie, this is the circle of trust. You are now in it. And you did it by declining a degree of opportunity. And I know I said it'd be done a minute ago, but there's this one, one very last thing on this. I get passionate about this, this lane, I guess, is that... Um, the other the other big thing about it is that um is isn't it just better to be that way? I mean, at the end of the day, right? You know, because somebody listening is like, well, wait a minute, I want to eventually work here and I my offering eventually is gonna go here. I'm like, but sure, that's fine. But right now it's got edges, man. It's got edges. And you you know where that fence is. You can move it out in two years. It's fine, but for now, just tell them where defense is, right? And what will happen is you just get all this trust at the end of the day. Anyway, uh, don't you think that's that's harder to do early though? I don't think it's harder to do. I don't think it's harder to do early if, well, let's go back to the thing I said earlier. As long as you know how to cut your revenue by half and half again, it's not hard. As long as your expectations are right, you know. But if you're in the very and and here's the other thing, we made the mistake too. It's a recoverable mistake mm -hmm. where it's not recoverable is like that SaaS company that gets to 3,000 people yeah. and they're just screwed at that yeah. point. It's yeah. game over, right? And so, and you don't want to be that guy. And that right. can happen before you even get to 100 people. So, I, I think, yes, survival matters in the beginning. But the minute that bank account is clippy clopping along and that engine is running, or my dad used to say in a phrase that he stole from somebody else. My kids it wants to work on racing teams as a mechanic. So if anybody knows that, reach out to me. But that's what he's he's going for a trial run down in Florida at Sebring this weekend. So um, but you know, my dad said about engines, he's like, I say, he says, What's the uh the way you describe an internal combustion engine is suck, squeeze, bang, blow. <laughs> Which to this day. Well, that's true. That's You'll never exactly forget how it. an engine works. Okay, I don't know who told him that. But like, as soon as that engine is doing suck, squeeze, bang, blow a number of times, it, now you got to have the diligence to be narrow, right? It's fine to go pick up Merck and Exxon and Microsoft all in your first year, but you're going to know that you could have seven Microsofts and you you just have to have that discipline. Yeah. And, th and that's really yeah. between you and your bank account at the end of the day. Yeah. And you need, you need to have, I, I guess, enough runway to be able to have that discipline because it, you know, the first day you open and hang up that shingle, you're like, I will take anybody that has a pulse and a checkbook. <laughs> right. Right. Well, certainly there's some of that, but, but even that is a little bit of like being smart before you leap. Right. Because yeah. you're still going to run into the issue of people want stuff that's pretty narrow. If they're yeah. going to trust it. Right. And if you're like, you know, I'll mow any lawn, that's one thing. But if you're like, I'll be a lawyer to anybody. Well, that's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. It depends a little bit on what discipline and where you're at. I would actually argue that the, the higher you're up in the food chain of like how much you're getting paid per hour, 
the more dangerous it is to be broad yeah. because eventually it'll bite you more. The lower you are, it, and, and by the way, I probably shouldn't have used that because I, I, I don't mean any like um, anything negative about where you're at on that food chain, but like, you know, but I think, I think there is definitely some truth to the idea that the, the closer you are to commodity, the less important it is that you're super, super narrow in terms of that service offering in a way because you're really competing on price and reach at that point. Yeah. But the minute you change that dynamic up, well, well, now it's going to really hurt you if you're not right. narrow enough. And it, the scale of impact, you know, for sure. Totally, it, exactly. About. Yeah, I um, I, I do want to want to shift just for a second here and, and really kind of kind of dig into the psyche of Sean Campbell here. So, this is a, a completely out of left field. What did you want to be when you when you were a child, when you grew up? Father Boyvin in second grade called me the little professor, and it wasn't because I was um, a know-it-all. It's because my whole life I've wanted to be a teacher. Uh, and what's interesting is I I had no idea that owning a business would have a lot of that juice. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't. Um, I wanted to be a prof. I, there's a whole story behind that, but that's that's what I wanted to be. I was going to go be a college professor and it was because I really like teaching and I like educating and I like mentoring. And I, and I'm, I, I'd sum it up this way. I'm completely incapable of learning something and not wanting to turn around and teach somebody yet. I'm like psychologically broken that way. I think, I mean, like, like if I learn a new game, a new book, a new, I'm always like, I'm, I'm not weird about it. I'm not like, Oh my God, you all got to read what I read, <laughs> but like, I'm not that way, but it's more just like, I, I want to share. I want to share and say, like, let's let's go learn together. And um, it's funny, you know, go learn together. You know, every once in a while I do one of these interviews and I say something I've that's never popped out of my mouth in any form ever. But that's the fun thing about doing these is like I, that's honestly a bit of a bit of what tends to happen during the day, even with my own team. I I, I, I should go ask them what they think on that that phrase, but I, I would bet they'd say that's probably what it feels like to work with Sean. We're going to go learn together. I, and, um, that, and that, and, and that's, that, that to me is a lot of fun. I, I think that that trait, I, you use the word I'm broken that way. I actually, I think you're <laughs> gifted that way because <laughs> I think that, that, that actually, if, if you dig down a little deeper, I think sometimes that is born out of a generous spirit. You know, it is it is the need to not only succeed yourself, you also want to bring along other people in that in that reward or well, in that I, journey. I appreciate you saying that. I don't I don't think I've ever looked at my, you know, if this was the Middle Ages and I've got my um, you know, cart behind me on my horse and I'm selling my wares, I, I've never I've always wanted more people in the cart. Like not in a kingdom building sense, yep. like, oh, I got, I got to have 80 people to be able to feel good when I go to the networking event and tell people I've got 80 people like that. I, I care less, but it's more just like, I want people with me on the journey because I think we can go learn together. And that's, and that's, I mean, what, what else is life about at some level? It's community over kingdom. Well, right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, and if my sailboat's got a hundred people in it, great. If it's got 10 people in it, that's cool too. And I'm all right with that. But it's not a neutral party. It's not a neutral community. It's a, it's a community that we are going to grow together because oh, right. I am a lifelong learner. <laughs> no, right, right, right. I mean, as a side personal note, you know, since you mentioned, you know, like a perfect example of the way I handle like even problems outside of work that way is like, 
you know, I think it's a fair thing to say that um, the 2020 election um, left everybody a little challenged. Let's just leave it at that. I don't care how you voted, right? You know, um, so I don't know how many things I read about, like, you know, presidents do this and presidents don't do this and such and such president would be better. And this guy would be, and I was like, okay, the, the, you know what I've never done? I've never read a biography on every president. So I'm currently up to Wilson. Just so somebody listening is like, aha, he's only up to Jefferson. That's never going to happen, right? No, I'm up to Wilson. So I've made it past the halfway point. I'm going to finish at this point. And, you know, because I've always, um, that's kind of just the way I tackle some problems. It's like, I just feel like, why am I going to let Twitter tell me how to vote? Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and learn and, and I'm going to, and I'm going to disagree with some of the stuff I read and I'm going to agree with some of the stuff I read. And, um, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And so, and I, and as a side note, one of the best things I ever did to read through those, bi those biographies, I mean, the, <laughs> We haven't had had an interesting batch of human beings as presidents. I will just leave it. <laughs> no at that. doubt about it. So, so you know, whatever whatever you think's weird now, believe it or not, there was at least equally weird things before. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. I won't try to say more or less. At least equal. Absolutely, absolutely, it, and yeah, I, it's that's an interesting uh, interesting project that you've taken on. It it does uh, inspire me to do something similar, but. Uh, man, I I just really appreciate you taking time today and just sharing, you know, a background. To, and we kind of chased things all over the map. But the, I mean, the one takeaway that I, I'm really um, wanting our listeners to really hone in on is this whole idea of of the age of narrow. You know, the the idea it's it's not just talking about niche, you know, niche vertical or or you know, niching your company or whatever it is. But it it truly is. It's it's pretty holistic the way you look mm -hmm. at that, at that term and, and that, I guess that, that concept. And, uh, and I, I, I know you've, you've spoken about it at different times and maybe even written about it as well. So I encourage people to, to go online and, and look at Sean, look at other things that he's done and other interviews he's done. But man, is there anything you want to just close us out with today before we, we uh, ask how people can best follow up with you? Sure. Sure. I will. Two things. One last thing on the Asian arrow, you know, you're doing it right. If you're telling the world what you don't do, just, just look for that in your sales and your marketing efforts. If you're doing that, you're probably on the right path. And then secondly, I would say the biggest words of wisdom in short, you know, um, besides, you know, if you don't have a faith life, go get one because as an, as an owner, it's real lonely without one. Um, I would say do that, but, but outside of that obvious big thing for me, um, a more day-to-day -day thing. I tell people all the time, read stuff you disagree with. Mm -hmm. Simple as yep. that. Yep. I, I have been more changed over my business life and professional life by reading stuff I disagree with and reading it, finishing it, thinking about it. And here's the last thing, not always agreeing with it. Yep. It's fine. Yep. It's fine if you get done reading a book you hate and you disagree with it. But you know, to never read anything you disagree with, especially as somebody leading an organization, all that happens then is eventually you just start self-justifying yourself and your ideas. Mm -hmm. And 30 years later, you're going to get hit by the Mack truck of some other company. Uh, and I I think the easiest defense for that is like I said, read stuff you disagree with. And what a way to close us out today. And uh, there's so much, so much truth and so much just good concept, good stuff that's been in this short 30 minute chat we've had. But 
Sean, really appreciate you taking time just to share your story with us and, and just share your background and, and insights and really just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Sean, have a great weekend. Thanks, man. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Make sure you follow up with our guests today and show them the support they deserve. As always, thank you for listening and playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide.